It's every one of us who holds the power over the worlds we create. Record too late. We missed <laughs> Malcolm owning me with not facts and logic per usual, but just pure poeticism. Yeah, emotional pathos. I'm one of those people. Some others are a little bit more by the numbers, but you know, I can't ignore uh, emotions. They're very powerful to me. I can't an- ignore emotions either. I think they're very powerful in the films uh, of you know certain auteurs that we talk about all the time and. Mm-hmm. It, this auteur that we're going to bring to the table today is someone whose emotional core, uh, uh, you know, I've only seen two of his films, but it seems like the emotional core might be a little hard to get to because of how just stupid all of the material is. But obviously a very competent director, beyond competent, um, an incredibly like gifted director at, uh, visualizing this very dumb material <laughs> and finding ways to always avoid coverage and to have like a singular voice running through and not just every uh, cut, every camera movement, every incredibly self-serious moment of voiceover, uh, every pop culture uh, cover slash mashup on the soundtrack. It's all coming from a very unique voice and that unique voice is named Zachary Snyder. Yeah, it is. You know, you could easily, you know, there's a lot of uh, mashups and stuff like that. And there's a lot of kind of, you know, strange qualities. And like, yeah, Zach's not a, he's not a guy who's exactly, you know, he's interested in other things rather than emotions. You know, whether you like this film or not, I feel like you you'd watch five minutes of it. You're like, okay, this is a gifted mind mm. for sure. We got a gifted mind <laughs> going on. Yeah. Here. He was put in the gifted classes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This exactly. is a gifted. This is what happens when you're, you're a gifted kid. This is, <laughs> this is a movie about that experience. A gifted kid who grew up in the, you know, the new metal era. Yeah. JT, how did you take to your, your first, uh, your first foray into the Snyder verse? Um, it was really good. I like seeked out Watchmen after this uh, to continue my Snyder exploration, and like doing that and like browsing like reviews in Letterboxd, I've really been taken with friend of the show Ethan Vespi's reviews of mm. Snyder films. He's really like proposing him as like a like a bozo auteur, which I definitely buy. It's like I don't know for me like watching sucker punch it was very similar to like the experience of uh like a neville dean and taylor film but like i don't know like more pop punk (laughs) i guess there's there's a lot of like different influences going on here yeah and we're talking about sucker punch in particular i haven't mentioned that yet but i think that opening on you know, an old timey theater, the curtains being pulled back over that WB logo over a, you know, slowed down version of uh, Sweet Dreams Are Made of These. 
which is also used in gamer, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know kind of what you're in for right away. It, and it, it's this incredibly, I don't even want to say incredibly self-aware, but incredibly postmodern and self-reflexive kind of exercise in genre filmmaking and just pure style that he lays over this kind of psychological horror story. So uh, Emily Browning, she's the she's the main character, and she gets institutionalized by her father, um, you know, and, and she is uh, let's see, abused endlessly, you know, physically, psychologically, etc. Uh, Oscar Isaac is kind of the the orderly of this effed up hospital, and uh, they have her perform these dances and these dances are a way to kind of segue from the one reality of the film the dark and twisted mental institution to the other realities of the film which are these adventures she goes on in her mind palace uh whether they be world war one or more science fiction uh these are just uses for Snyder to just plop these characters into the most incredible genre scenarios he can think of pretty much. Yeah. There's like a definite way this movie could have gone where it's like kind of like a almost giallo feel to it where it's like, you have like this uh, kind of dance troupe that Oscar Isaac has a, you know, very strict and severe hold over. But then you know, once you get to the actual dance scenes, you get into Snyder's, you know, other interests, which are big, grand, in scope, like war combat scenes. And mm-hmm. like, I, did you guys all watch the director's cut? I did. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I, kn- I mean, I knew we all would. Yeah. We're all auteurists here. Of course. So. We care about all <laughs> shit. But so, the other, yeah. the, the other kind of thread running through this, uh, which we see in this really great, I, I don't want to call it silent because music and sound effects are used, but this great dialogueless opening uh, is that, or it just like the dialogueless opening rather, uh, the, the first sequence like that in the institution, we see Emily Browning for the first time start to just completely disassociate and, you know, project herself into these other fantasy worlds that all leads up to, we see John Hamm, uh, you know, her point of view John Hamm about to lobotomize her and that is uh, when I guess the fantasy kind of truly takes over even though we have lots of scenes in what appear to be the reality of the mental hospital uh, it is all building up toward that sucker punch the the titular sucker punch which is in fact a lobotomization uh, him just hammering away through her eyeball and uh the 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 titular sucker punch like i knew what it was coming from maybe 10 minutes like the second john ham pops up it's like yeah. okay this is all just building up to that moment still very effectively teased out <laughs> you could maybe call it convoluted but there's so many like layers to get there to when it happens mm-hmm. it does kind of uh yeah it catches you by surprise a little bit but also i was gonna say like this this is a better movie than or a better suspiria remake than you know (laughs) like there's a lot going on here like i think the there's a big influence of the collision course ep by lincoln park and jay-z and like all the mashup yeah and like recontextualization of songs dennis dugan's just go with it it's (laughs) pretty much entirely soundtracked by mashups and remixes 
I mean, also, I mean, not to go too too deep here, um, but like 2011, I feel like those YouTube parody songs mm. are popping off. So people were willing to remix popular songs, I guess, so to speak. But yeah, I feel like yeah. that was honestly a big part of the R and D for this film is Snyder and his music supervisor just like digging through YouTube mashups and stuff, just listening to the corniest shit, you know, Lincoln Park <laughs> over Tears for Fears, <laughs> stuff like that, yeah. like. It like it, it like there's that and then there's also like a glee element to it all yeah. too if like yeah. kind of Oscar Isaac. Oh, when he's singing Roxy music, it was like that I like I kind of hated that, but also it's one of the reasons I love the movie too. Yeah. It's like I can't not enjoy that like So in the main kind of fantasy, uh, the mental institution operates as this burlesque joint of sorts where Oscar Isaac runs this, you know, the dance troupe that uh work also as prostitutes uh, for the men who come to buy bootleg alcohol, weapons, etc. And uh, yeah, we get this really crazy like musical number pretty early on like uh, to kind of establish ourselves within this fantasy and it's kind of a good point of whether or not you're going to be on board with this movie is if you can watch Oscar Isaac do his goofy song and dance uh, to you know a crowd who's just eating it up and uh, there's so much visual style though like there, there's the shot where it's the trumpet player you know hitting a riff in a solo or whatever and it's like a split diopter between him and Oscar Isaac dancing on the other side of the screen and Throughout this whole movie, there are so many like close-ups and just really tricky shots with perspective uh, that make the wide shots feel so much wider. Like it, yeah. it makes the it the the use of space is very dynamic in like the sense that he punches in for all these close-ups or even moves in with that crazy digitally affected camera movement he uses throughout this. And that just, yeah, it makes those wide shots hit that much harder. That's what I've really, like, I feel like been able to tap into and enjoy about Snyder's filmmaking and in particular his relationship to digital images. He doesn't really care about, like, realism in that respect and is creating some of the most, like, artificial-looking uh images but they're so beautiful at the same time and they have like a real i don't know poppy comic book quality yeah. to them there, there's a shot early on when we're getting the lay of the land of the hospital where uh we see someone from you know the other side of a door kind of peeping through a keyhole and then snyder just takes us through that keyhole into the person's eyeball <laughs> and then through that into the other room and there's just so much stuff like truly blink and you miss it brilliance like there's you know moments that last a second and a half that say if you're looking at your phone or even taking a note on the film you will miss just an incredible feat um and it's not quite like i i, I think that these things uh, are integrated really well though they don't stand out in a sea of bad images or anything like that i i think that the the way the film operates in general is very smooth and very pleasant to look at, in my opinion. It's mm -hmm. just that he's able to, you know, turn it up to 11 very briefly in a way that I really enjoy. No, yeah, I mean, like, something like the kind of the musical scene we were talking about earlier, like the montage going on there, like, yeah, there's a great, like, 
attention to visual detail and like a lot of the inserts and like that's what makes a lot of that montage great is like a lot of you know slow motion shots of like chips and cards and oh yeah shit like that but also you know to detract a little bit i think once we get out of like once we get into like these combat sequences i think this is where snyder's visual chops kind of lose me and kind of like it grand- goes back and forth a bit yeah, yeah yeah some of them it kills it and some of them yeah, yeah. i mean we'll get to them but mm-hmm. i i think uh just to keep on what i was talking about because there's yeah. so many examples of it mm-hmm. uh one of my favorite setups in this movie is it's like a shot reverse shot of oscar isaac and her stepfather dropping her off oh yeah. uh, and it's played both on split diopters with half the screen to, you know, taking up either the left or right side of her eyeball as these two men are standing behind her talking. And it's just like, he refuses to shoot conversations in a way that isn't incredibly creative. You know, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. uh, he, there's very few scenes where it gets very talky in this. And one of them is, you know, early on uh, when uh, Browning is talking to, I think, five of the other girls in that dressing room. And it's just five people talking. And the dynamism of you know Snyder punching between or sorry of Snyder cutting between you know a wide shot of all five of them you know three shots singles etc uh there's just always some sort of visual scheme to every scene that even when on a narrative level it completely loses me (laughs) there there's stuff that I can you know latch on to so the big uh you know, first uh, fantasy action set piece takes place in this kind of like ancient Japanese uh, temple where you think it's going to be like a samurai, but it is the guy who kind of gives you a tutorial before mm-hmm. every uh, action set piece in one of the most video game like aspects of the movie, which I enjoyed quite a bit. I mm-hmm. liked the the repetition to that, you know. Well, I think a lot of these combat scenes really do have that video game feel to them, mm-hmm. you know, especially with, you know, Snyder isn't, you know, isn't afraid to, you know, maybe look a little more artificial. And, you know, sometimes he uses that to its benefit, but sometimes, well, I guess I don't know. I'm conflicted on this, but it's like we, these combat scenes have very like high body counts, yeah. very like emphasis yeah. on like just death after death after death after death, <laughs> very much like video game does and there's some pros and cons to that for me. i mean i think that works well in terms of like representing like the the psychological state of the character just diluting even more even further from already like being diluted from reality of them being like a dance setup like that it gets even more artificial and then sometimes i agree that is a little off-putting though yeah when it becomes just a cgi like monster fight it goes back and forth, and I had this problem with BVS, too. Batman vs. Superman. The last 30 minutes completely yeah. lost me, honestly. No, you're right. Even if I loved everything. I think everything leading up was like actually really awesome. And yeah. I think the, the style is a bit more restrained than this. I love how audacious his style is in this movie. BVS a little more restrained and thematically just overboard in a way that I loved. Oh, yeah. Um, this one, though, I think he's going at it 100% of the time, like, as hard as he can so that the the CGI scenes... I don't know, man. Like, the... So, this first big action set piece, you know, she fights these giant monsters with swords. Mm -hmm. And I think in the wide shots, it looks really beautiful with, like, the snow falling and everything like that. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, sometimes I get a little lost in the editing and a little lost in the motion 
But I think when people are fighting each other, this movie is thrilling. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the hand-to-hand combat is shockingly good, especially yeah. for these performers. Like I had no idea these people had, you know, it, it, he has them doing pretty basic maneuvers, but I think it, that lets the execution speak for itself. Well, I think, yeah, the next sequence, the world, is that the World War One sequence? If it's not, it's yeah. fine. We'll talk about that one next. Well, yeah. yeah. Well, that's that's the one with the barracks, right? So, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, that, that one, that one, I feel like, yeah, a lot, there's a lot of, that scene goes on for a pretty long while, like, and maybe a little too long, but there's like a good 15 minute chunk in there, maybe a little shorter, but like, no, I think, it, I think that's how long it is, but I love <laughs> the world war one segment is yeah. probably my favorite part of this film, to be honest. Yeah. No. Yeah. It's, de- it's definitely stood out to me out, out of all the, the combat scenes. And like you said, yeah, there's like a good, um, I kind of like the rhythm of that scene has, we, we kind of cut between like each character and what they're doing within this war and it kind of keeps a good momentum and it doesn't get soupy because I feel like that's when Snyder his visual style can kind of lose me and it's a problem that happens at the end of BVS happens here a couple times it's just like yeah you you just kind of get lost up in a bunch of shit that like isn't that interesting or whatever yeah especially you know given what came before it because like um, you know Snyder's obviously very like visually talented and he's giving you a lot of different visual schemes so when he, he kind of spends more time on like these kind of like soupy kind of like i don't know un- some of these images can kind of feel a lot more undefined than like his some of his better ones and and, and that's like why them. i love the yeah. opening of the world war one segment man mm-hmm. i mean it opens i think mm-hmm. on a more interior thing they're talking to each other but then you get a one wide shot but it's tracking this plane so you get some stuff that maybe is a bit more indistinguishable below on the ground but but just tracking the plane even if it is just a complete cgi rendition with just cgi shit flying around at the sky <laughs> I, I, I thought that was one of the most thrilling images in this uh and you know it, it's like the physicality of trench warfare is so good in this and the way he maneuvers through the trench uh with those yeah digitally co- corrected tracking shots that are like you can feel the weight of the shaky cam but whatever you know uh stabilization they do in post also gives it like a further level of artificiality that i, r- I really liked no yeah you, you made a good point jt about how like it's like furthering the layering of artificiality and like I think yeah the the like the um, kind of like you're just saying like the CGI like shit just flying in the air it is like the the CGI is such like a thick texture mm-hmm. in some of the scenes in this movie and like like even yeah even if it's like like in terms framing wise it's not always kind of uh pulled off like I do I guess get kind of like the thematic thread there and I think also just to th- speak on themes uh you know, a lot, a lot more of a woker movie than I feel like critics kind of gave, yeah. gave oh, it, for sure. gave it credit for. Yeah, no, I mean, I think a lot of reviews I read where it's like, oh, like look at these sexy women just going around, <laughs> and it's like very little of this is them like I, I don't know is is like Snyder leering at them in yeah. any way. I, I'm willing to say that any reviewer who like dismissed this for Snyder putting them in outfits and like titillating the crowd. They just feel bad that they got horny watching it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like, all. That's this is, all. This is literally like proto spring breakers. This is literally. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but like yeah. the, the World War One thing, I, I we're going to have to keep talking about it because there are so many elements that are fucking ridiculous. Yeah. So you just have these five girls plopped into World War One in the trenches. They all have contemporary like assault rifles, but one of them just has a mech. <laughs> and it's fucking sick. 
And uh, yeah, the mech stuff is just crazy. She's flying around in the mech. Uh, the other girls are on the ground. And then they meet They meet up with the Kaiser, who's just like a nasty zombie with a red face <laughs> and just dripping. And it, it's fucking gross. And they have an awesome fight with him. And there, there's a big blimp that gets blown up. And the, the blimp explosion is very cgi But the bodies that fly around because of it feel very real. And I think the physicality of the bodies in that like outweighs how cgi the blimp explosion looks like, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's something I just thought about, right? It's like these, these like uh, combat sequences, right? There's like no like stakes to them necessarily, mm-hmm. right? Like there's not like if they win the battle, there's no like effect on the real life yeah. thing going on, which is kind of what's interesting about this movie. It is like, it's like, you know, with these kind of like long and very large in scope combat scenes, we really have like Snyder trying a lot of different shit. If we get a mech machine, dragons, fucking large samurai people. It really yeah. is just kind of like a, you know, I, like in a, you know, a positive, like kind of like a, just a childish sketchboard of like, what are some cool villains I could get in there? You know, what are some like cool weapons I could yeah. get in there? It really, he, he, uh, he uses like these combat scenes as, you know, a platform for his creativity. That's, you know, not a bad way to do it. Yeah, no, I love that. Like, and I mean, again, I think it adds to this like hyper unreal quality that makes it so epic in scope and just large and like a fun sandbox to like watch Snyder throw whatever shit he wants to to the yeah. wall and see how it how it works. Uh, the the World War One segment also, all the German soldiers are like steam zombies, yeah. which is fucking sick. Uh, it's just like such a clash of so many aesthetics. Like it's not a steampunk thing just because they're metal and have steam popping out mm-hmm. uh, because there's also like the mech and there's also the zombie Kaiser and it's just such a mishmash. And then I think it's the next fantasy that you have like the, the female vocals cover of the Iggy pop song uh, as they drop in to kill some dragons. And it's like, Oh my God, this is so ridiculous. (laughs) It's just the most insane mishmash of shit ever. And you just get, you know, your little pep talk up front, your objective. We didn't mention that in that, uh, temple with the sword and the first thing uh she gets a list of like five items that she needs which is also very video gamey uh so it's yeah we get four or five or or however many of these little fan these little action fantasies uh while she is dancing for people to such an extent that they are also in a state of hypnosis uh and i was always thinking like i don't know it would be a dumb gag but what if snyder just did a gag where it's like uh (laughs) Like, they come back and, like, nobody was, like, vibing. Like, she was, like, yeah. totally in her fantasy and nobody else was. And everyone was just like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that dance fucking sucked. Yeah, that sucked. <laughs> You're just standing there zoning out. You're not hot to me. Uh, <laughs> no, it's funny. Like, just, like, yeah, like, like the kind of, like, the layering of this movie, too. It kind of reminded me of a movie that comes after it, too, but also, like, welcome to marwin where Mm. like kind of like you have that aspect of like fetishization and like intense love for combat and like uh, (laughs) a world war uh scenes and whatnot so yeah i feel like there is like um you know even stuff after it because you know i can't say that uh welcome to marwin influenced this movie but like there is just like a lot of uh weird influences that snyder is taking from that he loves he loves to show off and you know maybe in the soundtrack maybe that kind of hurts it yeah maybe that because like there's 
you know, as much as I do like this movie, like, as you said at the beginning, it is like very like self-serious and like, I think the soundtrack is maybe where that hurts the most because hmm. there's like, I don't know. Like, oh, geez. I just yeah. read it, dude. The cover of Sweet Dreams is sung by the star, Emily Browning. <laughs> really? Uh, uh, <laughs> Which is funny. Shit. She also sang uh, back in the New York groove in the beginning of Golden Exits. Whoa. Got quite, <laughs> quite a singing career. <laughs> yeah. Snyder did it first. Uh, Oscar Isaac is credited on that love is the drug, uh, uh, that cover. Uh, one of two people credited for it. The like... <sighs> I don't know. The song choices sometimes are definitely corny. Yeah. But like, I I just I'm I'm there for it. Like yeah. the Go Ask Alice or I'm mean, the White Rabbit uh, yeah. cover yeah. at the start of the World War One segment. I fuck with that. Yeah. It's like they're all so on the mm. nose. As I said, the Iggy Pop cover of Search and Destroy. Uh, Tomorrow Never Knows by the Beatles. Uh, <laughs> there's also Where Is My Mind by the Pixies. Yeah. Which was I mean, like that one is yeah, yeah. that one like, is so hard to take. Yeah. Uh, like early like, as she's getting established. Uh, into the milieu of the mental hospital he drops the where is my mind cover and I was like alright dude if this is if this is what you're giving to me I'll I'll take it no yeah like, this I, is like the dumbest thing and it's fine because like maybe dumb is a, even a bad word for this and it, it's just of low taste I guess yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and it's just of such low taste that the ridiculous visual ideas that he's able to accomplish create almost this dynamic because it's like oh my god these are almost like avant-garde images he's conjuring at certain points <laughs> yeah uh, but it's like yeah really corny pixies covers and stuff like that like we you know uh not to, not to speak ill of anyone who puts a you know alternate version of a pixies song <laughs> in their movie richard kelly no no i i mean i definitely and i think i get where you're coming from because you're right like with like these songs there is like a lot of uh the the visuals are inspired by these songs and yeah. there's like kind of an energy that comes with them but it just like the songs kind of just suck for the most part oh for on, sure on, on my you know my end and i just i have to realistically just assess and be like, that's that's kind of silly, but, <laughs> but like, yeah, I I appreciate the energy. No, yeah, I I trust me. I I want Zack Snyder to make all these decisions, like, but it's just some of them could just be a little much. But I guess I I think that's I think that's just him. I just gotta I have to accept him on his terms, and uh, you know maybe just live with that. His taste in music in like watching Watchmen. There are moments like that that have definitely like where it's way too on the nose, but it just makes me so happy. Like I think he yeah. uses a times are a changing uh, needle drop in uh, Watchmen. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's like it's such a like easy like stab, but I'm I'm there for you, man. Well, I like see I like that kind of that his thinking within the soundtrack. I like that in other elements of his filmmaking, kind of like maybe with his like. I don't know, maybe not obvious theme, but it'll be very forefront with the themes or something like that. Or people will accuse him of being like kind of corny with stuff. I mean, I yeah. think something, you know, just since you watched BVS recently, something that I always thought was great that people relentlessly make fun of for that movie is when Batman and Superman have that moment where they realize the Martha, Martha, his, their, mo their mom's both name is Martha. And I think that's, that's one of my favorite superhero I movie love moments. The I movie goes to shit yeah. after that. Yeah. I think. I, I think that moment is great. I just don't like the, like when it becomes a justice league movie, basically, and you get exactly. the wonder woman entrance and you get the, the CGI monster that sucks. And it's just like, yeah, it sucks. But uh, I, I love the Martha moment. Yeah, it's just it, there's something just very kind of like strange and uncanny 
about that and like yeah especially like, affleck of all people yeah. reacting to it like yeah what is that name like what of all people just him with a mask on to react yeah to that, you still get that ridiculous reaction from him it's it's amazing and it speaks to snyder getting you know a lot of times they can be swings and misses but he gets huge swings out of his actors yeah. on some line readings and i really appreciate that that's true I was just, the acting here oscar isaac how do we feel about him it's, uh, <laughs> this leads me to my next point because i think it's important to bring up the next scene when he interrogates all the girls when he mm-hmm. is on to the scheme and he's yeah. backstage yeah and he's you know really laying down the law giving his all as a total fake movie star and i think this is the definitive definitive oscar isaac fake movie star performance but I think it works for being the fantasy within the fantasy movie. True. Yeah. But I think on a technical level, yeah, it's just like I, I can't get into Oscar Isaac on any level, honestly. He, he's he's not there for me I, as an actor. And I like him in some things, I guess. But in this movie, it's like I think he works for me because of how many layers of fantasy this movie is presented within. But when he has a huge scene like that, yeah. it's it's tough. <laughs> no, I was going to say, out of all the performances, like, I don't really have a gripe with m- any of the acting here. Maybe besides him. And maybe Ham a little bit, too. I don't know. <laughs> John Ham is a little strained in this. <laughs> so, we're supposed to have sex. <laughs> it just, it was, a, it was out of, you know what? It was just I very just, like, strange to me. John Ham's low-key swag yeah. in this. <laughs> His lobotomist swag. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, uh, we we get that total fake movie star performance. Uh, and then she is sent to seduce John Hamm. And the seduction turns into the lobotomy. And uh, I guess the director's cut has a bit of changes uh, in this scene. Apparently, there was some stuff in the editing in the scene, too, where, like, I don't know, they had trouble with that scene in terms of what they wanted to get across in terms of browning you know wanting the not just wanting to have sex with john ham but wanting the lobotomy as i guess the metaphor of the scene uh would mm-hmm. imply and i think that is a very just like messy and strange scenario that i like for that reason yeah mm-hmm. well i like the kind of thing afterwards where like ham you know does the lobotomy and he's like see like that strange look she gave me before i did that like yeah. that was very weird and it's like kind of like I don't know, like within this movie, kind of a weird emotional moment that doesn't really exist. Like, I don't There's a lot of a lot of in this movie. It like it doesn't a lot like the emotional moments are kind of like very grand. And like there's a lot of visuals, you know, uh, sweeping, sweeping motions behind them or whatever. But it's like this is just kind of just like a strange, weird thing where Ham's just like, oh, I I think I saw her. Yeah. Uh, I I do like that snap back uh, to reality. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, uh, the the sucker punch, as it were, because I think a lot of films can pull that off visually in a very cheap way. But the way that Snyder is able to pull off that like cold version of quote unquote reality. Uh, with all the people there just after the lobotomy and Ham just walking out uh, after he <laughs> looks at her for a second is chilling. I, yeah. I really liked that. The The more I talk through this movie, the more I like it, frankly. I think the the fantasy scene with the dragons like is so bad and just looks like shit yeah. kind of yeah. because it's the most completely fake one, you know? Um, but there's a couple cool moments, I guess. But I don't know. I think maybe I just don't like his monsters. 
Like, I don't yeah. think he's that good at making monsters. And that's a very funny complaint, <laughs> I guess. Like, but there's a lot of them. There is a lot, there of, are monsters. A lot of them. Yeah. There are even yeah. monsters in Batman vs. Superman, you know? Yeah. And I didn't like those monsters. I like, I guess if you count the, the zombie Kaiser as a monster, that guy rules. But that's not really a monster. That's, that's yeah. a fucked up guy. No, yeah. I mean, that's, that's like, I do like this movie a lot. But I think it's like some of these combat scenes, especially the dragon one. You listed, but yeah, even some parts of like the earlier like samurai based one, it is they just slog and like you'll get like I don't know, that's like a good ten or fifteen minutes that are just kind of like not preferable to watch, <laughs> to be honest. And but yeah, JT. Oh, yeah. I mean that's yeah. this is what I feel like something I liked a, a little bit more about Watchmen is that like it gives Snyder like an already pretty established like structure and mm-hmm. framework, and so like. And the material is a little less like hokey at parts. I think him working within that already defined framework um, makes him be able to pull off these things like a little bit better. Like I think like I don't know, there are no real like CG monsters in Watchmen, but there's like the Doctor Manhattan stuff and all that. Like digital looks beautiful. And you know Snyder, he, he, he as much as he loves his uh, his visuals, uh, <laughs> he's also someone who loves his capital T themes. You know? Oh yeah, uh, and I, I I think it should be said that how this movie kind of works as a metaphor for kind of empowerment uh, with you know. You make the world around you and kind of stuff like that. So Emily Browning's view of the world is, you know, uh, the one that she wants to see. That's why instead of existing in a mental institution where she's being abused, she exists in this old timey burlesque where she works as a sex worker. It's a very strange metaphor, to say the least. Uh, Snyder has said after the fact that it was uh, supposed to be about, like, the fetishization and sexism of, like, geek culture and stuff like that. I think maybe that's even a little much, but I think this movie does work as kind of a litmus test for that. Uh, Mm -hmm. But I think, like, it not being the smoothest metaphor for womanly empowerment uh beyond like yeah man i'd never send my daughter to somewhere like that yeah. uh, <laughs> uh i i like how messy it is because it's just a guy that wants to do the right thing essentially but i mean this is a guy who worships ayn rand as much as he worships john ford and it's like i don't know there there are just so many contradictions in like uh the way he views humanity and the world uh that as weird and uh, maybe even contradictory as his thematic approaches can be, it's it's very interesting to me uh, that he's someone who's like that, you know, hitting you over the head with his themes when they are kind of complicated <laughs> on accident, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, it's just, that's, that's, I mean, I think you're right with like Sucker Punch. Like, I don't know exactly what kind of conclusion we're <laughs> supposed to come to except that, you know, you got to change the war or yeah yeah, just you know it ends with a a, you know a call to action (laughs) to the audience i mean that's what i mean why i was interested and excited to do this because he's a compelling filmmaker in that respect because Mm -hmm. he's like challenging and like contradictory and like i mean i'd hate to like entirely lump him with like the dc like comic book stuff but he seems to have taken up that mantle like well enough and i that's why it's I don't know significantly more interesting than any Marvel stuff because that all that is like pre-packaged mm. like 
Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I in terms of like having a very clear and coherent like ideology. Yeah, totally. And interesting to note that the other film we mentioned earlier that is full of uh, mashups on the soundtrack just go with it. Both 2011 movies. That's what I, well, that's what I was getting at. Yeah, the Something mashup the culture. Air. Mashup culture. Yeah, I remember watching those YouTubers making parody videos and stuff like that. I was there. <laughs> I was there. <laughs> <laughs> um, are you guys ready for the Snyder Cut? <laughs> well, that's that was yeah. what me and uh, JT were actually discussing right before we recorded. We are still not exactly quite sold on watching the Snyder Cut, but I think I, I did kind of come to this. It's like he has to have something big up his sleeve for this, right? Just with all the hype that's been building up around it he's got to be taking some big swings so maybe i will maybe i will i'm gonna watch it i'm gonna watch not right away probably because i think it comes out like in two weeks and yeah. you know i have some other stuff to do <laughs> uh, but i'll put it on the back burner hell i think i might r- watch it right away i think i'm Ooh. gonna try and uh do another snyder before then and then nice. just uh yeah do my time i mean talking through sucker punch alone has already i think made me more willing to to explore Sucker Punch uh, theatrical cut. I need to look into that, to be honest. Mm. Not to not to be anti, you know, his cut, but, you know, who knows? Yeah, who knows? <laughs> it's I good investigative journalism. I mean, no, yeah. I, I mean, yeah. I said not to be, but yes, I am, I yeah. guess, is what I ultimately admitted. No, it's okay. I'm just joking around. You got to check out all, all, all the cuts. All the cuts. Um, You know... We've been doing the uh, the vulgar tourism thing. We, we talked yeah. about a Zack Snyder movie this week. Come on. What? <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's get back to our roots, the original auteurs. So next week on the After Hours feed, we are going to be talking about a movie by Douglas Sirk. Wow. Ooh. Uh, just picking this one out because I've never seen it and I've always wanted to. All That Heaven Allows. Oh yeah! I just bought the Blu-ray of that. That's oh, perfect timing. Let's go. Yeah, I I just revisited uh, "Written on the Wind" recently, and it's just like, oh yeah, this this guy's got to be one of the best. So definitely want to explore a little more Cirque, and I can't wait to bring you, the listener, with me. Getting cirked off. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> getting cirked off. All right, all right. <laughs> Take me easy on the accent. <laughs> um, anything else you want to tell the people before we sign off? I'm getting cirked off. <laughs> I am getting cirked off. Good night. I am Eddie Averill, and I'm getting Douglas cirked off. 